0: And uh, there was for me when I thought about it this morning a lovely resonance that if you like Tony's at the beginning of a process that God's doing and we're at a later point not the end point the later point of a process that God is working in our lives. Come with me in a a time machine this morning. Sit in the time machine and let's go back let's say 2,000 years. And we see A lady a woman she's recounting the stories of Jesus she remembers some of the things that he said on a mountain she remembers that she's been told a story of how he visited a woman by a well and received her when it wasn't expected that he would or should do she's been told the stories of how he was crucified and that that was for her and before we start to say oh yes we know all that what we ought to know is as as we look on in our time space machine she's only just realized and heard these stories for the first time in her life in fact they're new stories and they're told by a group of people who she meets with quite regularly now but six months ago didn't know at all you see A few months ago her husband died and she was at a loss to know in a society where there's no structure, no welfare, no benefit system to support a young widow and she's got two young daughters. But this group of people invited her to meet in her home. She was very wary at first but now it's become the most important point in the week. And she and her daughters go and they eat food together. And it's in that place that she's hearing these stories about a man called Jesus. It's changed her life. And in the cataclysmic things of the death of her husband, she thinks it's the thing that keeps her and her family sane. Then fast forward in our time machine about, say, 1700, 1750 years, and we see as we're observing from our time machine a man who's coming home from a hard day's work in a field or a factory. He's been working since half past six that morning and it's about that time at night. We see as he gets a quick bite to eat And then he opens his Bible as he's munching his meal and then we see him pray fervently and because we can hear in our time machine, he runs through a list of names of people we don't know. But sure enough, over the next 20 minutes or so, about 10 or 12 people come to that house where he lives. It's a small house. They fill both the downstairs rooms. They gather around the kitchen table and spill over to the small parlor where there's a fire burning. And we suddenly begin to realize as he greets them at the door that they're the people who he's just been praying for. One by one they arrive, and the meeting starts with prayer, and then the man reminds them of John Wesley's rules for Methodist societies. About the covenant that they're called to make with their Lord God. How they are a member of this, and being a member of this small society in the front of his little cottage, it means that they will attend public worship, They'll listen to the reading and the hearing of scriptures preached and expounded. They're expected to attend Holy Communion. They're to commit themselves to private prayer and devotion. And they're to, and he uses this phrase as if he's quoting straight from John Wesley, they are to watch over one another in love. Well, it's almost as if that's a kind of trigger switch because at that point in the meeting when he's told them to practice a simple life and to try and do good in every way they can and to engage in acts of social justice and transformation for the world they then sing and one by one they start to say things to one another they bear testimony about how God has led them through the week for some of them it's been a great week and for some of them it's been terrible but what's an all glory and all, they share it with one another. And then they pray for one another, and then they collect together a penny which they've all brought for the work of God. And the man says a final prayer, and they set off into the darkness, meeting over. And the man goes back to his kitchen table, notes who attended the society records it in a little book and writes underneath in pencil the spiritual state and the needs of each member prays for them as he will do twice a day for the seven days between then and when they next meet closes the book and goes to bed now fast forward another 20 250 years to say a time like i don't know 2016. And a young woman comes straight from work, entering the church to do what her small son calls mum's Bible thing. She enters the room where a small group she's joined meets week by week to study the Bible. She's been coming to it several weeks. She didn't know hardly anybody at first, but she's beginning to know the names of the other people in the small group. And they're following the disciple Bible course they've committed themselves to going through that course which may take them many months. They have discussions and in this busy life and some upheaval in her own life this has become one of the most important points of the week. It gives her support for her relatively new faith. This week the Bible study group are talking about the early church and as she hears about the life and the commitment to God of the early apostles, how they received the goodwill of everybody and they broke bread in their homes and they gave of one another and they were just so committed to being the new community of Jesus Christ, it's in the Acts of the Apostles she realized that she was part of a large and a long and a huge and a glorious family of Jesus. And then they got on to talk about God's call. And one or two of them talked about times when they really had felt God pull on their lives and steer them. And her own stomach tightens a bit because just in recent weeks, There's been a number of almost indefinable occasions where she's felt that God is saying something to her, but as yet she doesn't quite know what it is. The meeting ends and she returns home, relieves the babysitter, and then sits quietly with a cup of tea. Lord, she says, what would you have me do? come out of the time machine one of the key indispensable marks of a fruitful congregation at any time in any place is to be intentional about developing the faith or if you want it put even more simply making disciples it's absurdly obvious A church that doesn't make disciples of Jesus Christ is 50 years away from extinction, wherever it is. It's not self-preservation, however. It's the very thing that churches were created to do. Such churches do that through their worship like this, but also by offering a mixture of gatherings large and small at different times that are designed to deepen our discipleship of Jesus and challenge us to a greater faithfulness. Intentional faith development needs to be intentional because it doesn't happen by accident. It's willed, it's strategized for, it's planned for. Billy Graham used to say, if you sleep in a garage you don't turn into a car. Just as you don't become a Christian by turning up to church. You become a Christian by choosing and very often choosing again and again and again as your life and your understanding of what God's doing in your life changes. You choose to believe in Christ and follow him and make him your Lord and you stay a Christian and you grow as a Christian person through your life by doing those things that help you become a better disciple of Jesus and a church that helps you do that by providing the places and the opportunities to become a better disciple is a church that's doing the crucial thing that churches do recognizing what God's doing and aiding God in the task of providing a space and a place for God to continue to make us his. I want you to notice these things, that you can't easily become a better disciple on your own. John Wesley famously said, Christianity is not a solitary religion. By which he meant, you do not do this on your own. To be sure, there are eccentric characters in the history of the church who have gone and sat on a pillar or sat on a rock or went away into the wilderness for 40 years. But for 99.999% of us, we actually become better disciples because of each other. And so down the centuries, people have attached themselves to that group of Christ's people who, whether they be in any part of the world and whether they be at any point in Christian history, are members of just one church, the church of Jesus Christ, the one holy Catholic apostolic church. But beyond that, you say, well, whereabouts and at what time in the one holy Catholic apostolic church am I? Because what God wants us to do in order to be better disciples is to be grounded somewhere in that one huge church. And sometimes we move from one church to another. We move job, we move continent, we move country, we get married, we join the tradition of church that our spouse now owns. But it's still the one holy, catholic and apostolic church of Jesus Christ. We're here today to rejoice that after a a short membership course we have some new members what does God want of us well all sorts of things do you know since I've come here there's not one week gone by when somebody attached to this church has not had a conversation with me they've been very different conversations but the common gist is that they're saying something like I think God is speaking to me and wanting me to do whatever how do I know it's God can we pray together about that? So God asks us to do all sorts of things, sometimes very specific things, sometimes very general things, sometimes things that we think are relatively important, sometimes things that we think are mundane. It's all for God. all important. But I want to remind you this morning that God calls everyone, every one of us, each one of us, to very certain things. We're all called to come to Christ all of us and if you haven't done that or done it again recently do consider what's the distance and alongside being called to come we're then all called to go to come to God through Christ and to go in his name to live for him and to die for him When you finish a course, you often have a passing out service. In Britain, we call it graduation. We've got lots of graduations in this building. Universities hire it all the time for people to come up before very, very important people and bow and get scrolls and walk off the stage. But um, in America, we've got some Americans here, you don't graduate. It's called Commencement. I don't usually think American words are better than British words. But I wouldn't, would I? I'm a Yorkshireman. But Commencement's a better word than graduation for what we're doing this morning. Because what we're doing this morning is not the end of something. When we lay hands on the ho- and ask the Holy Spirit to bless these good folk at the front of the church this morning, we don't say, there, you've arrived now. Welcome to the holy state of Christian discipleship. There's nothing else to learn, nothing else to do, nowhere to go. You've arrived. Yeah. What we say is, you have taken another important step. In coming and going and living and dying until your life's end. And at this point in your life, you do it here and now among these people who are part of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church of Christ. So as they do that, and we're witnesses in a few moments, I invite them as they do that for you to review and renew and continue your own discipleship of Jesus Christ and I remind you unusually at this point in the service, service of Holy Communion too, that even after all that goodness and grace and blessing, if you require it there are people to pray with you here this morning, if it's you this morning, don't miss that chance. Amen. Give me the faith which can remove and sink a mountain to a place.